Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Corner, llegó el gol de Olivier Giroud. Marca el Arsenal, marca Olivier Giroud. Gol de los Gunners. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always, with James from Gunnerblog. Goodly morning to you, James. Goodly morning. How are you doing? I am all right. This is a bit of a landmark Arscast Extra. It's episode number 150. Can you believe that? Wow. Like, that's scary, isn't it? It is. 150 hours, days of our lives devoted to mm, this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, for what? For what? I mean, what's... I, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> for, to, to what end? I don't know. That, that's a scary question. I don't think we should ask it. No. I think we should just take a moment as well just to uh, say thanks again to everybody who came out uh, on Thursday night, uh, as well as our guests, Amy, Philippe and Stuart, to, to everybody who came along to the show at the garage in Highbury in Islington. Uh, thanks a million. Obviously, um, you know, buying a ticket helps us uh, keep things going. It keeps the lights on and uh, the support is really greatly appreciated. Yeah, and it was very, very cool to meet so many people. Couldn't believe it how many yeah. people were there. It was a really fun night. And, yeah, and also thanks to Amy and Philippe too and Stuart for coming along and being such great guests. Mm, and if you weren't there this time, you'll have to come to the next one because, you know, you're missing out because they're cool. They're good, fun nights. And uh, They are really yeah. fun. It's yeah. always fun to have a chat. I mean, the show themselves are fun, but chatting to people before and after yeah. uh, is a really nice part of it too. It certainly uh, is. We were there, incognito, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> incognito. Nobody knew who we were. That's the thing. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost uh, like we weren't that important. Yeah, true, true. So, look, it's been a, quite a quite a fun weekend from a, a footballing point of view. Obviously, Arsenal are back on track with a 3-1 win over Bournemouth. Uh, not many of the other results went our way, although... If we if we have to start somewhere that's not necessarily Arsenal, there are a couple of things that I, I think we can uh, we can enjoy. One is the fact that Tottenham have been beaten. Yes, not yes. necessarily the is best that... because you know obviously it meant that Chelsea won, but you know t- Tottenham getting beaten is always it's always a fun thing. Yeah, and I think every season, you know, the moment where every other Premier League side has suffered a loss is one that should be commemorated, of course, in the Invincibles' honour and. And even after this point, any other Spurs losses will continue to be fun, right? Yes, absolutely. There's always fun to be had in a in a Spurs defeat. And then, of course, Manchester United dropped further points at home. And Jose Mourinho was sent off yet again. Yet again. Mm. Uh, for kicking a water bottle. I mean, we know that that's a, that's a, a crime at Old Trafford. We've experienced that before. Arsene Wenger was sent to the stands unceremoniously by... Was it was it Mike Dean? 
I can't I remember mean, who it was. It feels like it would be Mike Dean. <laughs> yeah. We don't necessarily know or have any evidence, but that seems like something he would do, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to have to look this up, but I think it was Mike and Dean. He was, he was uh, confined to a, a pen, you know, with with all the Manchester United fans. Mm. That was sort of kind of an iconic image. Wenger stood there, kind of Christ-like, you know, yeah. among the supporters, baying crowd. Have you discovered who this... this uh, Yes. The referee was? The Arsenal manager was sent to the stands by Mike Dean on the advice of fourth official Lee Probert for kicking a water bottle. What a combination. (laughs) Dean and Probert working in tandem. Absolutely. They sound like the world's worst ice skating duo, don't they? Probert and Dean. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely. I'd let's see that. I wouldn't. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Those ice skating costumes are far too tight. We do not need to see Mike Mike Dean's camel toe. (laughs) <laughs> like a blades of glory type thing <laughs> I, I would enjoy that um, well look so yes Jason Mourinho was sent off I think he's got as many sendings off as home wins or something like that so <laughs> brilliant long may that last yeah. I know um, I, I am enjoying it actually Ander Herrera came out of the game and said we don't know what we have to do to win a game and joyfully neither does Jose Mourinho so yeah yeah it's it's fun so far so far so good and look um it was his, his record's worse than David Moyes actually I think after really many games yeah yeah it's um it is thoroughly enjoyable there's no other way of putting it I'm you know there's part of me that goes you know it won't last you know he'll turn it around he'll make Manchester United better than they are right now and I don't think that's an impossibility which is why I think it's incumbent on us right now to to take it for what it is and to enjoy it for what it is uh fucking exactly. a man struggling being absolutely miserable in the full glare of the spotlight of the media of uh the opposition fans uh you know a guy who's behaved like an absolute cunt for most of his career and it, it feels like chickens are coming home to roost. Maybe he'll send those chickens away or, or deep fry those chickens. I don't know. But while the chickens are coming home to roost, I'm going to enjoy it. And I suggest everybody else does too. Welcome those chickens with outstretched arms. Come Clean to us, to chickens. Bosom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, carpe diem. Carpe chicken. Chicken diem. Chicken enjoy diem. it, basically. I wonder what the, what's the Latin word for chicken, do you think? Uh... I don't know. Polo, pollo, something. I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up here. Um, Poyo DM. Seize the, seize the chicken. Seize the chicken. That's what we're telling you. Yes. You know, knee slide down, you know, the sideline of Mourinho's hubris. Pullum, apparently. Pullum. Pullum. Mm. Yes. There you go. Pullum. Pullum DM or you know, whatever. I don't know. We're not Latin scholars, but I know we have a Latin scholar who listens to the show because he emailed us before. So he might be able to give us some chicken-related Latin to use uh, that we can enjoy uh, while Jose Mourinho's having a difficult time. But did you, uh, James, having not necessarily enjoyed the last number of Arsenal games, in particular mm. the one against PSG last week, uh, did you enjoy this one? Yeah, I really, I really did, actually. It was a very entertaining game. Some of the credit for that has to go to... Bournemouth, who, you know, I, I haven't seen loads of Bournemouth actually this season, but I kind of it was one of those where I kind of saw what all the fuss was about. Mm. They do play some some good football actually, and and there were periods of the game, particularly the first half, where 
they were very dominant. And in a way, you know, we have a lot of sides come to the Emirates and be very defensive and very negative and very niggly. Mm. And I actually thought that they didn't do that and yet still were for long periods, probably the better team. Yeah, they played well. I saw them the other week against Sunderland, and the only reason they didn't win that game was because they just kept missing chance after chance, and the keeper made uh, some great saves. But they do play uh, some nice football, and I think the the reaction after we went ahead, it was a terrible, terrible error from... Uh, yeah. who, was it Cook, I think? Cook. Cook. It was Cook. Mm. Two, it turns out one cook was too many cooks. <laughs> uh, it was a, a really bad pass. I mean, we're seeing more and more of that in the Premier League because obviously it's so incumbent on t- so many teams now to play out from the back. You know, inherent is that, uh, is that there will be errors. And uh, yeah. this was one, one of the worst, really. It was a really bad one, yeah. Uh, Alexis was alert um, to, to get onto the ball and, and roll it home. But, you know, it didn't necessarily dent Bournemouth's confidence or their... Uh, their philosophy or certainly how they were going to play the game. You know, they got on top a bit after that, I thought. Uh, you know, yeah, maybe until about the half hour mark. Um, we'll, we'll come to their goal in a moment, but uh, th- we were forced into a very early change. Matthew Debushi back um, playing his first Arsenal game for over a year uh, went down with what looked like, I think, a hamstring injury. Is that what the, is that what the word is? I don't know. If yes, it's a, it was. Mm. Uh, apparently he... he- he produced. He did this injury, uh, producing a back heel, uh, which apparently is the most dangerous thing you can do for your hamstring. In the words of Arsene Wenger, really? Wow. Yeah. Do you remember it? Actually, he was on the right wing, quite far advanced, and I remember thinking, "Oh, that was quite a handy bit of skill." It was mm. a back heel to Theo Walcott, I think it was. Right. Uh, and in, in that moment is actually when he. He injured himself. Oh, dear. Um, the, the guy... Know really, your limits, Matthew. <laughs> yeah. He really doesn't have very much luck at all, does he? Uh, since he's joined Arsenal, he's just been beset by by injury. Obviously, there was the, the bad ankle injury he suffered against Manchester City mm. uh, fairly early in his career. Then, having come back, he was... He was uh, the victim of a very uh, nasty snide foul by Arnautovic, who uh, pushed him while he was off his feet, and uh, he ended up dislocating his shoulder, loses his place to Hector Bellerin. Now, last season, I thought that perhaps he could have shown a little more fight, um, but wanted away, wanted to be part of the European Championships. Didn't work out for him because of injury uh, sustained at Bordeaux when he was on loan there. Came back this season, had a big calf injury. He's only just come back and now he's done a a hamstring, which Arsene Wenger says is severe. So something's going on there with with Matthew Debussy. He's broken a mirror or run over Satan's cat. I don't quite know what it is, but uh, he's really having a difficult time. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to think yesterday of a player who's been quite so unfortunate with injury. I mean, Thomas Rosicki springs to mind, but mm. every time he's got an opportunity, uh, he seems to be beset by these fitness problems. I mean, the only thing I did wonder is, was he rushed back a little bit soon? I mean, he had that one game, was it for the under-23s against Spurs? Mm. But other than that, barely kicked a ball this season. Yeah. I-, I was quite surprised to see him in the... The starting lineup. Were you shocked to see him there, or not, was you expecting it? Not necessarily shocked, to be honest. You know, I thought the way Carl Jenkinson had played, it was it was definitely going to be something that Arsene Wenger was considering. And I do wonder, like, yeah, he's only had the one under twenty three game, but 
look, I mean, he could have done that hamstring playing in another under-23 game. You know, is there such a huge or difference? Or yeah. in training, you know, so maybe he wasn't uh, fully match fit, but you'd have to think that, you know, they did all the tests and he he uh, he was given the all-clear, you know, to play in a game, uh, you know, at home against opposition like Bournemouth. Um you know, I don't. I don't think it was a crazy decision or anything to play him. But obviously, uh, when a hamstring goes, then you know uh, it looks like it's a, it looks like it's a bad decision. But you know, what did you think of sure. the, the decision to bring on Gabriel to replace him? I must admit, I found that strange. I mean, you know, Gabriel. It was interesting. Arsene Wenger talked about it after the game. He said he watched some videos of Gabriel playing at, at left back relatively competently for Villarreal. He said he found one video of Gabriel playing right back in Brazil, and it was not the most convincing, um, <laughs> in his own words. But he he picked him because of his he's a natural defender and because of his pace was his explanation. Looking at it from where I was sat, I was thinking, well. You know, we, we've got Rob Holding, who I know is primarily centre-half, but has played right-back plenty for Bolton mm. last season. Um, and also got Francis Cockland there, who, while a midfielder by trade, has played both full-back positions for Arsenal in his time there, and, and relatively decently in a kind of Matthew Flamini-esque manner. So I was surprised by it, and at first I thought, oh, God, we're in, we're in for trouble here. You could also switch Mustafi and Gabriel, mm. I guess, but Gabriel kind of... He kind of improved as the game went on. I mean, I, I certainly, I'm hoping it's not going to be something we rely on long term, but I think he deserves a measure of credit, really, for adapting to an unfamiliar position, you know, across the course of the game. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, I, th- I was a bit concerned when he came on, but uh, I thought he played pretty well. Overall, certainly as the game went on, he he, he got into the position and uh, adjusted, I guess, positionally and was able to read the game a bit better than he was in the in the initial, um, let's say, 10, 15 minutes after he came on where it looked, uh-oh, this could be a, this could be a bit of a bad decision. So, uh, he, yeah, credit to him for, for doing that. And, uh, you know, he's a guy who hasn't played very much at all this season. So, you know, he's he's coming into it fairly... Uh, Fairly unmatched fit as well, I guess you would say. Um, so yeah, kudos yeah. to him uh, for that. He was he was pretty solid. So uh, look, one nil up, and Bournemouth are playing quite well. We're not necessarily playing as well as we might. And then their goal. What did you make of the decision to award the penalty? I thought it was soft, to be honest. I thought it was soft. Um, I know, sort of, uh, I felt like Nacho Monreal got away with one at Old Trafford, you know, a few weeks ago. But uh, yeah. I felt like it, the karmic retribution. Let's say, you know, the Poule came home to DM or whatever it is uh, for <laughs> pull Nacho. <'em>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pull him. Uh, because he, uh, yeah, I thought he was a little bit hard done by there. I sort of feel like it's one of those where the striker uh, initiates the contact. And, and I guess also slightly compounded by the fact that it looked like shortly before that, was it? Alexis had been brought down at the other end. So, was uh, Mesut Ozil, yeah. who was uh, pulled over by uh, the Bournemouth captain, Francis. Steve Francis, I think it was. And just, ah, that was in the build-up. Sorry, I was thinking we had like a penalty shout as well. That, um, well, that wasn't a penalty. It was definitely a foul, but it took place outside. outside the box. Yeah, the replay show that took place outside the box. Now, he was absolutely furious. I thought that was 100% a foul. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that, that added to it. Then I thought there was a foul on Mesut Ozil in the build-up. Uh, to mm-hmm. to the penalty, and when the ball rebounded into the box, to me, Wilson just l- launched himself into the side of uh, uh, Monreal, uh, who was looking to sort of use his body to protect the ball, which I think he's perfectly entitled to do, and uh, the referee gave... Uh, 
gave the penalty a bad decision, I think. Yeah, well, I, I thought it was harsh, as I say. I mean, I, I know I'm jumping around in the chronology of the game, but did you think that Montreal, uh might have conceded another penalty later in the game? What did you make of that incident, the handball? Mm. Half? I w- given what had happened earlier in the game, I was surprised that he didn't give a penalty for that. But, you know, it was very much... It was very much ball to hand, wasn't it? You know, um, it's a curious rule that, isn't it? I mean, like it's everyone knows it, but I feel like that's one that I feel like decisions are not made on that basis. Do you know what I mean? I feel mm. like it's, it's the interpretation of that rule is far looser than that, so it's a difficult one uh, to assess. But I guess on on balance, I guess that was you know point seven of a penalty, and this <laughs> first instance was point three. So yeah, I yeah. kind of make my peace with it, but uh, at so, the time. Pretty frustrating. Yeah. Is this like, is this where we uh, uh, invent a new statistic like expected penalties? XP? Expected penalties. <laughs> yeah, I think so, probably. Yeah. Um, but they put it away. Uh, who was it who took it? I forget now. Callum Wilson took the penalty. Callum Wilson. And then within a minute, they had a brilliant chance to go ahead. Uh, if you remember, there was a free kick, I think, from yeah. uh, Koscielny gave away a free kick. Uh, again, much to the ire of, of everyone watching, I think that was probably more of a free kick than the penalty was a penalty. And from that free kick, if, I think, I don't know which Smith it was. There's a Brad Smith and Smithy the Smith Smith. I can't remember what his yeah. other name is. I think it was Smithy Smith who had a header okay. from, um, I don't know, probably 10 yards out with just the goalkeeper to beat and put it over the bar. And, you know, that, that's that been something that's been part of our game this season. We concede, we, we have a little bit of a wobble, or we have allowed those chances, too many of those chances, in my opinion, um, but got away with it. Uh, he headed over the bar, thank you very much indeed. And then I think as the, the rest of the first half progressed, we grew back into the game and certainly were on top by half time. Yeah, well, I guess the one thing we don't concede in the Premier League is headers. So, <clears throat> thanks to whoever sold their soul or whatever it took, you know, f- f- to mm. get that to happen, because yeah. the run continues. But yeah, we, we um, yeah, I, I mean, Bournemouth had that good little spell, uh, but then I thought you were right. We sort of managed to to slowly turn the tide, uh, you know, after that. And, yeah. I, and actually, the second half we got. A relatively early goal, did we not? I forget the exact minute, but it felt like it was relatively early. It was, I think, the 53rd minute. Yeah. I'll check right now. Which uh, is ideal, really. Yes, it was the yet yeah, the 53rd minute. And a very nice goal it was too, wasn't it? With the uh, the work from Ozil in the box, uh, the, the cross from Nacho Monreal. Did you see Theo Walcott's interview afterwards? Uh, he, was, he was talking on Sky and he goes, I think Nacho's gone for the shot there, to be fair, but, you know, it just came to me at the back post and there I was to nod it home. <laughs> if he'd gone for the shot, it would have either gone in the goal or out of the stadium. It was that kind of a, it was that kind of a chance where if you hit it, you know, it's either going to crack into the back of the net or you're going to miss hit it wildly and, uh, and send it, you know, uh, somewhere into the stand. So I think he's done Monreal a huge injustice there because it was an absolutely beautifully controlled cross considering the ball that came into him from, from Mesut Ozil. Yeah, and it, uh, the way the ball was dropping, you know, wasn't that dissimilar to uh, the goal he scored for Spain a couple of weeks ago. And I thought, is he going to is he going to mm. pull it off? But it was very unselfish, very aware, very controlled, and uh, a second career-headed goal, I think, for Theo Walcott. So uh, he'll take that. But I, I yeah, I, I couldn't really believe Walcott's injury. It was almost as if he couldn't really. 
he couldn't really understand what Montreal had done, you know. <laughs> he sort of was like uh, too too generous and considered, but there you go. Yeah. But uh, And then the celebration, of course, from Theo, the Babato baby swing. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, someone's got to come up with a new baby celebration. Um... What do you think? I, I, I don't know. I mean, look, I, I understand people want to celebrate their you know, the fact they've had a baby, but, you know, pretty much anyone can have a baby. You know what I mean? There's nothing that special about it. Yeah, lots of people have had them. You know. That's one of the problems with the world's overpopulated. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> should we be celebrating? That's the question. Yeah, next time, uh, next time but, a player has a baby, should just, you know, do that thing where he holds his hands up and goes, sorry. Sorry, I'm contributing to the end of the world here. Overpopulation. Like he scored against his yeah. former team. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, look, well, congratulations to him. Uh, I, I thought some of the stuff that he said was, was brilliant. You know, he said it's, uh, it's been a long process, so hopefully now I uh, can just look forward to the family. I can't remember yeah. what it was, but he made it sound like a great big saga. <laughs> it was quite funny. Signing a, new, signing a new deal, you know, a transfer. It's been a long process, but yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. so happy to be where we are now. <laughs> just really focused on the future yeah. and what we can achieve. Um, <laughs> so what was I going to say? That so, you, yeah. Uh, yeah, so there we go. So that was what that was. Uh, what was that? Two one. Yeah, that was that was two one. Well, sorry about this. Um, that was two one, and then I thought it was pretty. Um, I thought it was pretty uh, pretty even for the rest of the game. Um, yeah, they they were still well in it. Uh, Petrček had to make a great save from from Benikafobe uh, with his legs to keep it at two one. Um, and that was that was a headline waiting to be written, wasn't it? You know, former gunner comes back to to haunt us. Um, we were so busy thinking about Jack Wilshire, we forgot about Benikafobe. Yeah, I did enjoy that moment where uh, Danny Welbeck just spent some some moments laughing at Jack Wilshire after the yeah. uh, the, the first goal. Obviously, Wilshire's trying very hard not to react because he is, um, for all intents and purposes, a Bournemouth player this season. Uh, but that was good, good bants there from yeah. from Welbs. Nice to see. Nice to see these are alive and alive and whelps anyway yep. as well. Alive and whelps. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then we brought on uh, Giroud and Ramsey, who I thought added a little something to to our attacking play. Um, mm. You know, they they combine well those two, and obviously Giroud was then uh, involved uh, in the the goal that sealed the deal. Mesut Ozil picked it up on the. Uh, on the right of the box. I thought originally Giroud had taken the wrong option. He could have played in Alexis a, a little bit earlier, uh, but he showed, to be fair to him, absolutely blinding pace to get to Mesut Ozil's pass. It was like watching, yeah. it's like watching a, you know, one of those um, uh, big giant horses that pulls barrels of Budweiser around in the Christmas ad. Like that, yes. One of those horses. Like we're seeing one of those, you know, in the Grand National. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he got to the ball, pulled it back, and there was Alexis to make it three-one. And they had a a lovely big hug at the end. It was very nice. Oh, to be, you know, the filling in that sandwich. <laughs> it looked like a, a lovely cuddle. Um, yeah, he did actually do well to get to that and take it back because apparently he was playing with some sort of injury. He felt a bit of a uh, bit of a muscular tension when he first came on. So. Mm. Um, Credit to him and Alexis. I mean, uh, a Pirazian arrival at the back post, wasn't it? Nice little neat side foot. Yeah. Um, I saw Robert Pires yesterday. At the oh, game. did you? Yeah. I saw Robert Pires and Jens Lehmann. Lots oh. of intimidating, tall, invincible men mm. wandering around. Did you? Did you uh, sort of just bathe in their musk? 
yeah, that's it. I pre- I acted cool. I pretended I was fine with it, but inside, you know, my heart skipped a beat. <laughs> um, <laughs> So that was, uh, and that was that, that was 3-1. I mean, you know, we had the penalty incident at the other end uh, with the National Rail handball, the good save from Czech. Um, I'm trying to think if they had any other really sort of clear-cut opportunities. No, I don't think they did. I mean, it was it was a fairly even game, but uh, most of it was played in, in midfield. I don't think either goalkeeper had a lot to do overall. You know, Czech had that one save yeah. from a phobie, and I don't really remember Federici having to make any any saves. Um, you know, both teams were, were pretty good defensively. It was it was all trying to break down, um, you know, from midfield. It didn't, didn't really work um, for either side in terms of creating clear-cut chances anyway. But I just thought on the balance of it, we we deserved the win. We deserved the three points. Um, I thought we did play uh, pretty well. I thought there were encouraging signs. Obviously, Alexis up front again. Uh, and, you know... <sighs> It's difficult to look past that as the thing that's really working for us this season. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And it's it's funny, isn't it? Because Giroud did come on and have a good impact yeah. and helped change the game to an extent. But that, that seems to be where he really excels is when he comes on as this kind of plan B. I thought Alexis was really good, actually, uh, on the day. And even in the first half, in that spell where Bournemouth kind of were you know on top or or marshalling the midfield pretty well he was the guy who was going to produce something there was that shot from the right hand side of the penalty box that cannoned off the crossbar mm. there was uh, that little one two he played with Ozil that was a brilliant goal oh um, yeah where he yeah. just clipped it into him and then he smashed it over going for a bit too much power but it, it, he always looked like the guy who was going to make the difference and there was a brilliant pass in the second half for Ozil did you see that with the outside oh yeah of yeah foot? yeah yeah that was really really special yeah he had a great game yeah. actually he, he had, had a, a really game. really good game and, and I think although some of that did come on the, the flank in the second half I, I, I agree with you when I see our starting lineup and I see that he's up top I generally think we'll get a more fluid performance and uh, as a whole mm. so it proved mm. and he did uh, he felt obviously very good about things because he did a an interview on Sky afterwards mm. uh, which we're going to play a little bit of here I'm just going to just going to try and get it sorted sure. here um, so if, if you haven't his heard first, it, we believe yeah his first uh, interview in English so this is this is it I think Alexis I know you don't do many of these but Two goals, man of the match, a great day for you, a great day for the team. Oh, thank you so much. Eh? So happy for, for, for two goals, eh? but eh, the team is mentally strong. Eh? So congratulations for one more baby, my friend. <laughs> eh, now, eh, mentality is the Premier League, is very difficult. He continues the same. It's more uh, difficult for, for me, for the, the team. He, he, he's the number one is Chelsea, City, it's, it's, it's the Premier League, I like your English is getting good. You're gonna to have to do more of these. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I understand a little you, but it's, it's, uh, and now so 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 happy for for my friend, for the team uh, uh, together. It's, it's the the fans is fantastic. Uh, it's so happy I go to Rime home with my dog. <laughs> well done. I love that. I'm gonna go home with my dogs. Oh, I love that. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, fair play to him, you know. <laughs> he does. He really loves those dogs, it. yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. He, and he loves play. those dogs. He sure does. He sure does. And, uh, you know, that's the thing. Everyone should love their dogs. The world would be a better place if everyone loved their dogs, as much as Alexis loved his. Um, Granit Xhaka, 
got the nod. I mean, Arsene Wenger made seven changes yesterday, James. Yeah, which is a lot of changes. It's a huge amount of changes uh, for a manager, you know, who does like to rotate things around a little bit, but generally doesn't quite go that deep in terms of, of how he shifts his squad around. So seven changes was quite considerable. Uh, Granit Xhaka and Mohamed Elneny played together in the centre of midfield, and I thought Xhaka, again, like he did in the, the Tottenham game, he was really impressive without being you know, anything ostentatious or, or showy about his performance. You know, uh, I think he won nine out of 11 tackles, made 14 ball recoveries, three interceptions. He's 90% pass completion. Just a really tidy game. And alongside him, El Elneny, a guy with huge energy uh, and, and somebody else who's, who's very... Uh, I'm not going to say conservative is the wrong word I want to use, but it doesn't doesn't waste the ball much when he has it. It's generally there and able to find an Arsenal man with it. So it seemed to click quite well in midfield. Yeah, I thought so. I mean, if midfield's about partnerships, uh, this was one that I don't think we've seen before, but one that, that did work actually a good deal better than some others that we've watched in the last few weeks. Uh, I was surprised by seeing... A complete change. I thought Cochrane would be in there, or, or Ramsey. I thought Shaka might start, but yeah, I thought he did really well. And it was sort of in the second half he pr- improved, and there were some brilliant passes from him. Actually, you know, once he sort of got his eye in, and the game became a bit more stretched, that ability yeah. to pick people out from deep really came to the fore. And you know, afterwards, Osimhenga said um, he's got an ability to play the ball between the lines, and strikers love playing with someone like that. And actually, in recent weeks, that's exactly the quality he's been talking about, the, the side missing with Jati mm. all are absent. So, you know, it does make you wonder why it's taken so long for him to get this opportunity. But I, I, I guess I kind of hope that this isn't just another false dawn for him, really. I feel like that was what the Spurs game was, in mm. some extent. And now you, you want to see him retained in the side because... Uh, he seems to be making good strides when he is called upon to play. And as for Alneni... His energy levels are just insane. I mean, in, in the last minute of the game, he was pressing like a madman. And, that was you know, amazing, was wasn't it? He's running and, like, yeah. gesturing to people, you know, come up, come up, come up and give me a hand here as he pressed the, the goalkeeper. Like, huge, huge lungs, huge. And they're like, I, 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 we can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're fucking knackered, mate. Yeah. I know, and uh, he, he just has those huge reserves of energy. And that's not to say that's all he is. I mean, he's a, a very competent passer of the ball too and always available, mm. always a, uh, able to give it to somebody else. But, uh, yeah, I mean, people talk about box-to-box players. I, I don't, he's, he'd go box-to-box-to-box-to-box, to box to box to box, really. I mean, yeah. back and forth. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I thought that actually, that combination worked pretty well. The other changes we talked about, Debussy, but Oxley Chamberlain came in and I thought he was pretty good, it. actually. I thought yeah, he had, I thought a, he had a decent game. enough day. Yeah. Yeah, worked hard um, and had some great moments actually uh, bursting forward. Uh, a couple of them didn't come off, but, you know, he, he was, uh, he ran himself ragged. And I, I think one of the things that we were maybe critical of him about over the last uh, number of seasons was the defensive side of his game. Uh, and it's not so much that he's not in the right positions, but he just seems to switch off. And there was one moment yesterday where a Bournemouth player got down the right-hand side, was trying to uh, fizz in across, and Oxlade-Chamberlain uh, chased back as, as fast as he could and blocked the ball out for a corner. And that is just those little things, I think, that perhaps speak to uh, an improved focus from him, uh, you know, in terms of what he has to do, not only going forward, but certainly defensively. Uh, you know, he, he seemed very aware. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, and I suppose, in broader context, I mean, this means we went through uh, November 
unbeaten in the Premier League, continued mm. the run, three, what was it, two two draws and a win will be our, yeah. our final league record. Mm. Um, I guess, what do you think of that, taking a step back from it and looking at it, you know, in, in, in broader context, what do you make of that little period? Look, it could have been better, but it also could have been worse. Um, you know, I think there's, when you when you draw a game against Spurs at home, I think that that might have been the most disappointing one in terms mm. of the results because we'd we'd gone ahead in that game uh, and obviously conceded a, a penalty and uh, I'm a bit you know a bit worried about how many penalties we're conceding this season. Uh, it's a bit annoying, but there you go. Um, so when you look back at the the results in, in the broader context, that's probably the most disappointing one. The Manchester United one, the performance was very disappointing, but obviously the result and the way it came about felt really quite nice. Uh, but yesterday it was hugely important for us to get a win under our belts, you know, uh, there, there would have been serious questions asked if we couldn't have beaten Bournemouth at home yesterday. And, and perhaps what it shows as well is that we do have the ability to mix and match the squad a bit more than we used to. That making seven changes is drastic. You normally only make seven changes when you're resting players for a, for a cup game or for a more important game coming up. Um, but this was one that we had to win and the changes pretty much worked. Uh, and we took the three points and, you know, the league table is looking relatively healthy. Obviously, Chelsea and Liverpool won at the weekend, but, you know, we had to, we had to keep pace with them and we did. Um, so hopefully, mm. Hopefully now over the next couple of weeks, uh, you know, we can we can start to get going again. So, uh, you know, all in all, I think it was a pretty positive day. There were uh, things were still to work on, but for, for the most part, a positive performance. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I suppose uh, November's not out. Obviously, we've got the... Uh, mm. The EFL Cup tie still to come. Yeah. Uh, will we talk about that now, or will we no. leave it to the Yeah, we'll, we'll take a break part. now. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll take a little break right now, come back with your questions, including EFL Cup stuff, uh, right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or SleepNumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two, where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter, at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog, and also on the ArsBlog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the ArsBlog. Now, uh, will I go first? Because we should probably touch on this EFL Cup game on Wednesday against Southampton, right? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So Far away. Uh, Matthew Cooper at Cooper M., 
wants to know, do you think Arsene Wenger will play a weaker side in the EFL Cup game and risk losing and upsetting the uh, the, the streak that we're on, the unbeaten run? Uh, I think he'll definitely play a weakened side. Um, you know, we've had a, a difficult run of fixtures this week. I know that, obviously, we've rotated the team significantly, but we've got West Ham away at the weekend. And I just think, look at the size picture in the previous two rounds. I don't think his policy is going to change dramatically. I think there are certain players he'll think he owes a selection to. You know, you think of Emmy Martinez, for example, who uh, has just signed a new contract, mm. probably partially on the basis that he gets to play in these games. So, yeah, I think it will be a weakened side. I guess what's interesting is to what extent will he look to involve the players who didn't play against Bournemouth, who'd class as first-team players. You know, you think of the likes of Aaron Ramsey, who started on the bench could they be in contention? Francis mm. Cochrane didn't play a minute. He was on the bench. So it might be a slightly stronger side, but uh, I still expect to see, uh, you know, a set, effectively a, a kind of second string. What about you? Uh, yeah, I think a, very much a second string, and that is the way that I would go with this tournament, to be honest. Who's left in the, the EFL Cup? Has some decentish teams um, and Man U. Mm. Uh, let me have a look. <laughs> Leagues and cups. Um, EFL Cup. Yeah, we're looking at the quarterfinals. Oh, this is the quarterfinals. Quarter so we've got Arsenal, Southampton. Right, right. Um, Hull City and Newcastle. Right. Uh, Liverpool, Leeds, which is a sort of great seventies throwback time. Mm -hmm. But Liverpool are uh, going to win that. Yes, they are. And then Manchester United, West Ham, who played, of course, at the weekend. So you're looking at, if you go through to the semifinals, a potential two-legged encounter in when? January or early February against maybe one of Liverpool or Manchester United? Yeah. Mm. yeah. But if you win that, you can... You know, there's a prize. Yeah, you do win a cup and stuff. Yeah. 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 yeah I would just I like... you're not really interested in it, though. It's not that I'm not really interested. I just don't give a fuck. No, I just, you know, I, I just feel like maybe we have to prioritise somewhere along the way. Um, so I would, I would be inclined or very much in favour of playing the... the the second string, the youth prospects and everything else all the way in this tournament. And if we get to final, we get to final, that's fine. But, you know, when you look at the schedule in, in February, um, let me just let me just have a look here. Boom, ba -dum, ba -dum. Well, it, I think you've got the Champions League knockout stages around that time. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're going to have to play Barcelona at that point. Of course. And then you've got two-legged semifinals against... Against, uh, you know, either Liverpool I mean, or Manchester honest, it would, United. It would be Manchester United, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it would almost certainly be Manchester United, uh, just because. Um, so, yeah, it would be... I think you'd have to prioritise it a little bit, yeah. So, let me just have a look here. Yeah, January, EFL Cup. Oh, wow, look at this. So... Uh, you play on Sunday the 1st of January against Crystal Palace. Tuesday the 3rd of January against Bournemouth away from home. Uh, Saturday the 7th is round three of the FA Cup. Then in midweek on the 10th or the 11th, you've got the semi-final of the EFL Cup. And on the 14th, mm -hmm. you've got Swansea City. So you're looking at five games in, fuck, 10 days. 
It's a game every two days if you get yeah. through. So you just can't play if you do that. You really can't play uh, any of the senior players, I don't think. You know, particularly if you're still in contention for the, the Premier League, if you're doing well enough in the league. It's got to be a it's got to be a tournament where you play the young players, and if they if they swim, fantastic. If they sink, you know you've got to look at the bigger picture overall in the in the in the season. I think. What do you reckon? Yeah, well, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it depends what you mean by young players. I mean, I I think you can probably get away with playing certain squad players who aren't yeah. that young. I'm thinking yeah. of guys like Kieran Gibbs, you know, who have got some experience and probably need the game time to stay sharp so yeah I'm not, I'm not sure how young a team it'll end up being i mean we can play the we can play the game if you like and figure out what we think's appropriate okay here, here's what i think he'll do he'll play uh, martinez jenkinson uh holding gabriel gibbs mm-hmm. midfield hmm I suppose he could. He's going to have to involve somebody, isn't he? He's going to have to involve at least one of Coquelin, Elneny, Xhaka and, and Ramsey, I think. Might be a good game to give Aaron Ramsey a, a run out in the middle. You know, get his match fitness yeah. up. Um, I think he'll play the Jeff. I think he'll play Iwobi. I think uh, Lucas Perez could be back. He did mention that at his press conference on Friday, that Lucas Perez could be back in contention for this particular game. Yeah. So he could play. Um, Do you think he would play Olivier Giroud? Depends on the hamstring, doesn't it? If he's, yeah. you know, if he's, if there's any danger of Giroud tweaking that hamstring in this game, then don't play him. Don't play him. Uh, but if not, you know, he, he could give him a start. Uh, I do wonder if that would like not not that it would annoy him or or anything like that, but. When you look at the way he's uh, he's played this season, he's yet to start a Premier League game, and then he's starting in the EFL Cup, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, maybe I feel like you could <laughs> you could kind of get it by him if you're also starting, you know, Ramsey and Coquelin, say. But if it's just yeah. like a bunch of kids and Giroud, that's a yeah. different thing. You're like, oh, for fuck's sake, come on. Um, yeah, so I think you know, use as much of the young talent and as the fringe players as you possibly can. But you know, for the guys that have been playing. Week in, week out, uh, you know, there's, there's just no way we should involve them or risk uh, any any further injuries um, heading into what's, you know, a difficult period. People talk about November being difficult, but you look at those fixtures in January, it's like, it's pretty bonkers. Pretty bonkers, yeah. you know? I think, you know, Koscielny, Mustafi, Walcott, Ozil, Alexis, I, I, I think these guys won't even be on the bench, you know? Yeah. I don't think they'll be part of the squad. Yeah, um, and that's probably the way it has to be. Yeah, and the, the fixtures we got coming up, like you say. All right, uh, I think it's a, your turn for a question. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, what about this? This is from Hiragana Masaki, and they say, "Feel sorry for Debushi and Jenkinson, but what about the idea of playing either Gibbs or Monreal at right back and the other at left back? Both are experienced, pacey, difficult to get past, and familiar with our central defenders. What do you make of that?" Uh, with the greatest of respect to the uh, to the person who sent in the question, no, just no. Okay, you, you never ever ever see a left back playing right back. Hardly. Yes, but what? But but you do see right backs playing left back. Occasionally, right? yes. It's yeah. I don't know why. 
I don't. There must There's be some a weird reason. prejudice, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> no lefties it's like on how, the right. Honestly, it's like it's like as a left footer, I've decided to take up this crusade that Hiragana has mentioned in this question because if you had a, n- a number of injuries at left back, I feel like you know we've seen. Carl uh, Jenkinson, for example, feeling at left back. We've seen Bakary Sanya feeling at left back. Mm. But I agree with you. Instinctively, you would never put Kieran Gibbs at right back. Yeah. It would seem all kinds of wrong. Yeah. It just, it just, and I just, also, just no. Just no. But similarly, people always go, oh, you don't want two left footed centre backs. But loads of people have, to, we have two right footed centre backs now and nobody cares. I I don't know. I don't know. There's just maybe it's just an inherent uh, prejudice from years ago where left-footed and left-handed people were to be mistrusted and feared because they were obviously maybe. different and strange and you know uh, in 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 uh, cahoots with the devil or something. I don't know. My most sensible explanation for it is that uh, if you're a left-footed player, it's quite a coveted thing because obviously you need left-footed players in your team. So I think left-footed players are often, at a young age, probably less encouraged to work on their weaker foot Mm. so that a right-footed player might be more competent with their left foot, say, than a left-footed player is with their right. But a professional level... I can't imagine that extends in the same way. No, maybe. But yeah, I, I, this is this 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 is it's unfair. Where are all the left-footed right backs? I, I, I mean, I don't want it happening on my team. You know, <laughs> it's classic prejudice. I want it to change, but not not Arsenal. Yeah. I, I don't want to be the guinea pig here. No, I mean, it, I think maybe it's because, and again, I'm, maybe I'm just guessing or generalising. And you know, to any left-footers out there, I mean, no offence, but left-footed players tend to be extremely left-footed. In general, yeah, exactly. like really, really left-footed. Uh, whereas right-footed players, not you know, there are some that obviously can't do anything with their left foot. But you know, the, you tend to see right-footed players being better with their left foot than left-footed players being be- uh, as good with their right. So, I think that's true. I think that's true. There is, a, there is a, yeah, there is, a, I think, a bigger question though, because obviously, Carl Jenkinson was left out of the squad entirely yesterday because. Uh, I think uh, he's been playing or struggling to to quite get to the level that we would want him to be at after his injury. And, you know, the questions are whether he can ever get to, to that level. Um, Matthew Debushi was given a chance to stake a claim to play it right back until Hector Bellerin returns. And... Look, he's going to be sidelined. It looks like. So, do we go back to do we go back to Jenkinson? Do we look for a different solution? Uh, Lucy at Lucy Gunnar asks, you know, could Mustafi play it right back as he does uh, for Germany, or should we leave uh, Kostafi, um, Koscielny, and Mustafi as the the central partnership? I mean, I understand Arsene wanting to keep that partnership intact. Mm. The problem is that at the moment. <laughs> When we had Gabriel a right back, you could see a couple of moments where players sort of uh, looked up and could see him in space and thought, oh, I'm actually not going to give him the ball there because I'm not sure, you know, as a centre half, what he's going to do with it on the right wing. Is he going to be able to beat a man? Is he going to play a neat one too? And, I, and I, I don't take any satisfaction from saying this, but to an extent, the same thing was happening when Carl Jenkinson was in the team. And actually, it starts to limit your options. You need a right back who people can trust on the ball and yeah. trust to give you that that width, particularly in this Arsenal team where the wingers drive in field so much, especially Walcott, you know, he ends up in those central positions so frequently. You're really reliant on a, 
on on the fullbacks to provide width. Bell- Bellerin does it brilliantly. So I guess we've got to go back cap in hand to Jenkinson. I I can't see the Gabrielle thing being a a long term solution. Can you? No, no. Would you be tempted by Mustafi? Maybe I don't know. I've never seen him play there, so I, I don't quite know. But if it's somewhere he's played relatively regularly, then then maybe it would be maybe it'd be okay. I I, I don't know, but I would um, agree with you that the manager would be quite reluctant to break up a central defensive partnership that has yet to lose a game since it's been together. Um, mm. Which isn't to say it's flawless by any means, but you know when you've got that kind of a run going, if you want to. You talk about the spine of your team, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, there are some partnerships that are really, really important. And obviously, uh, your central defenders are are those. Um, yeah, I mean, he could bring in Gabriel. He could bring in Rob Holding and put Mustafi out there. But I think Jenkinson is obviously the natural fit uh, and really the only option uh, until such time as, as Hector Bellerin gets back. So... Look, you know, maybe he thought the door had been closed for him, and now the door has been opened again. He's looking through the door, seeing Matthew Debussy writhing around in pain, and uh, <laughs> that's that's kind of it. So, yeah, I, I, it feels like Jenkinson is the only option, unless he does something completely out of, you know, left field. And I know he played Ainsley Maitland-Niles there during one of the EFL Cup games. Would he view view him as perhaps more a potential Bellerin than? than Carl uh, uh, Jenkinson. But again, you know, he's a Maybe. guy who's, who's much more of a forward, isn't he? Who's played most of his football as a forward rather than a fullback. Yeah, and he played in, in holding midfield in the last game against Reading. But uh, I wonder if Maitland-Niles might get a run there against Southampton. I don't yeah. know, but we're now in a position where Jenkinson is the only fit senior right back so mm. maybe they'll be a bit more, you know careful with him uh, against Southampton and give someone else a go and a chance to take a claim yeah. but I think I expect I, I guess I expect Jenkinson to come back in for the Premier League matches I think disrupting you know Kostafi um, feel would, would would worry me slightly as much as you know as much as we've got depth there it does seem to be mm. working quite well as a partnership um, um, mm. we'll oh. see Something yeah. to look at in January, maybe. Indeed. When that comes around. Indeed. All right, here's one from Kevin Johnson Azwara. Um, and he's backed up by Douglas Stanton, who's on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash the arse blog. Kevin wants to know, hi, guys, any insight as to why Theo was allowed to wear short sleeves yesterday? And Douglas says, what the hell has happened to our sleeve tradition? Yesterday, Theo Walcott played in short sleeves. I know there are more important things to be concerned about, but that's part of our history. And for anyone who doesn't know, um, the captain before the game decides uh, what, what shirt sleeves we wear, whether it's long sleeves or short short sleeves, and uh, everybody rolls in behind that. But I, I think it's not the first time this season, if I'm right, that Theo Walcott has, has done his own thing. No, you're not. Uh, so you are right. I think it's happened a couple of times. I, I remember people saying it. Maybe it was Old Trafford, actually. Uh, a, couple, a few people remarked on it. I don't know. Has he got sponsors tattooed on his forearms? Maybe. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, I mean, look, it's obviously it doesn't really matter, but it is a nice little bit of tradition. And uh, I would, you know, there are players in the past who've had a preference who've reflected that by either rolling their sleeves up, or in the case of Matthew Flamini, I believe he cut off his sleeves, did he not? Yeah, Flamini cut off his sleeves. Yeah, that's right, and was uh, given a dressing down, I believe, uh, for doing that. Right. 
Well, I mean, fair enough, I guess, but at least he sort of adhered, you know, to, to the tradition to in the first place. I, I um, I'm not desperately upset about it, but I would like to see it continue. I guess it's probably down to the captain, is it? I mean, I guess maybe Koscielny's not as as big on it as previous captains have been. Mm. Um, so, yeah, does it irk you at all? Does it bother you? Yeah. I like I like those little traditions. You know, I think I don't think they're hugely important in the great scheme of things. It makes no difference whatsoever as to as to uh, how the team plays or performs. But I do think that if we've had this long-standing tradition and everybody else is wearing long sleeves, then I think uh, anyone who everyone else should wear long sleeves, whether whether it's Theo Walcott or anyone else. You know, mm. I mean, it's not a fucking huge deal, and you get a little bit carried away with with things like this. But I think, as far as I know, it's a it's a tradition that's fairly unique to Arsenal. Um, so it would be nice to see that continue. So you know, someone have a word. And look, I know some some players don't like wearing long sleeves, um, but just roll them up, roll them up, man. Roll up your sleeves. You know, Per Mertesacker's the club captain. I'm sure he can have a word. I saw an incredible stat via uh, Orbino on Twitter the other day. Mm-hmm. I think it was yesterday, in fact, saying that the last time Arsenal's club captain started a Premier League game was November to 2014. What? Two years ago. Yeah. Because we had... Um, it was Arteta who started against Manchester United. That was the ago. last time an Arsenal captain started a, a league game. The official club captain, yeah. Can you believe that? Wow, mad! It's pretty mad. Eh? Jesus Christ! It's just, it's a not saying it's a poison chalice of a job, but if you get offered it, guys, just turn it down straight away. You're going to be out yeah. injured for ages. You want to be the vice? The vice is a great position to be. Yeah, absolutely, vice always plays. Yeah. Murtisacker never missed a game when he was vice captain. Minute he becomes captain, yeah. Ban Jackson, he's out of the side. So do not make yeah. anyone like Koscielny the captain uh, on a full time basis. That's that's what I'm saying. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Wow, that's uh, incredible, isn't it? Just mm. yeah, I don't know. We should ch- we should change our appointment of who's club captain. Mm. You know uh, if. Sonogo is club captain now. <laughs> He's out um, anyway. Well, it happened to him. He just gets sucked into another dimension. Something terrible. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyhow. Um, oh, I've got this question. You alluded to it earlier. Josh Morton says, real question. Real question. This All is right, real, real talk. This is Josh real. Morton. Okay, okay. This is real. Okay. I, get, I get a feeling it might Why not necessarily we... be real. <laughs> uh, no, no. It is actually... It is distressingly real. Oh, okay. Um, real question. Why are we conceding so many penalties? Uh, I don't know, but I do wonder if there are statistically more penalties being given this season than mm. any other. It feels like there's a lot of penalties uh, in the in the Premier That's League this season. So I do wonder if it's if it's unique to us. But didn't we talk about this? Uh, like the, the ten Tottenham have had ten penalties or something already this season. You know, in all their games, really? that maybe maybe there's just more penalties being given. Um, like yesterday's, I'm trying to remember the penalties that we've conceded. There was obviously Cassiani against Spurs. There was Monreal yesterday, which I didn't think was a penalty. Koscielny, you could see why that one was given. Um, what were the others? Did we... I, uh, I can't remember. But, but it's four, I think. I've con- 
Right, OK. It seems plenty, and there have been others as well that, you know, might have been, I think mm. it's fair to say. We have had four for us and four against us. Right. According to myfootballfacts.com. Um, against, uh, that is not the highest tally in the Premier League. Hull City have conceded six penalties. Wow. Yeah. Right. And uh, four, uh, Liverpool, Leicester and Man City have already had five in right. their favour. Right. So there you go. So I'm just looking 46 here. 46 given so far in the mm. Premier League in total. Right. Um, we obviously have missed two of our four. Uh, okay, I'm looking here at our penalties this season uh, that we've got. Uh, Giroud against PSG. Lucas Perez... Uh, Nottingham Forest, Alexis Sanchez uh, against Hull City, Sandy Cazorla, Southampton. We've had six penalties so far this season, but obviously four, four in the Premier League. We've had six overall. So there was Walcott well, look, I- missed against Liverpool, Sandy Cazorla. Uh, scored against Watford, and Sandy Cazorla scored against Southampton. Uh, Alexis missed one against Hull, if you remember. And then Perez mm-hmm. scored in the EFL Cup, and Giroud scored in uh, the Champions League. And penalties conceded. And just uh, bring it up here on this uh, Y-Scout system, which is uh, quite, quite interesting. Uh, just waiting for the stuff to load here. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, Callum Wilson, Harry Kane, Jermaine Defoe scored a penalty against us uh, for uh, for Sunderland. If you remember, that was one one. And uh, Robert Snodgrass uh, penalty uh, for Hull City uh, in the four one win back in September. So yeah, we've conceded four. Maybe we're just defending clumsily, more clumsily than we have. Uh, I don't really have any great theory on it. Um, Well, in the Premier League, we've in the Premier League we've. We've won four, conceded four. Mm. I can tell you that in the entirety of last season, we won two and conceded one. Right. So there is a much higher incidence. In the entire Premier League season last year, there were 91 penalties awarded. And thus far in the Premier League, uh, there have been 46. Right. So, but we're not yet halfway through, are we? So I guess there is a slightly increased uh, ratio Mm. of penalty award. Okay. But there you go. There you go. I don't know why we specifically are giving away more. Um, I don't know. We've been a little bit clumsy in some respects, haven't we? I, mean, mm. I can think of a few incidents where maybe we've been handsier than we needed to be. Mm. Yes. There was an incident yesterday with Mustafi. Did you see that one? Where he sort of pushed the guy oh, no, in the back. Actually. Yeah. Pushed him in the back. Just... Um, yeah. So, we, yeah, maybe a bit more last-ditchness to our defending. I don't know. Um, all right, here's a yeah. here's a very interesting question. This comes from Shales, who's at Pez underscore DNA. And he says, okay. is it time to ditch the Alexis up front thing? It's done well, but we're going a bit stale now. Too often we create very little. Well, it's, it's a no from me. I, I would definitely keep him there. I... I think as good as Giroud's been as an individual, I think we're better as a team mm. with Alexis up top. And I think that having Giroud on the bench and being able to change the dynamic of a match by bringing him on is super valuable, really. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, 
I don't think it's been quite as effective as it was, a, you know, a month or two ago. But I think it's still, uh, I think it's still the best way to go. What about you? Uh, yeah, look, I don't know how you can say it's necessarily gone stale. It's, I think we've played our best football this season when he's been playing there. Um, so, well, I guess, I guess maybe they're saying, you know, he played there at Old Trafford. It wasn't particularly effective. Played there against Spurs wasn't particularly effective. But yeah. I think that's more. You know, that that could be levelled at any part of the team, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'd, I'd, look, I think Alexis up top's been the thing, the fundamental difference for Arsenal this season um, that's made us more f- attractive to watch and more fun to watch. So, selfishly, someone who, you know, is going to watch the team, I, I want him to stay there. I think we're uh, a better, attractive, attacking team with Alexis through the middle alright have you got one more um, well this isn't a question but I just want to thank El Descarado who's pointed out that ham on ruffles are available for purchase in North London <gasps> in a Portuguese deli on the, on a, in a Portuguese deli on the corner of Delancey Street slash Albert Street in Camden Oh, my God. Well, look... I'm going to go down there, guys. You better get there straight away, James, because... Uh, we're releasing the podcast. Yeah, we're releasing the podcast. There's going to be queues out the door in these in this Portuguese deli. They're going to, they won't know what's hit them. All these people coming in asking for ham on ruffles. You should go down and buy the entire stock that they have and then set up your own ham on ruffles store outside the Emirates before every game. And just dispense... Sort of yeah, just dispense, like, a handful of ham on ruffles for a, for a pound. Just have, like, some... The, very hipster Fortune. of me to set yeah. up like a, a ham on ruffles store. <laughs> a ham on ruffles cafe. Uh, yeah. Um, seriously, though, guys, if you've never had them, let's say you're, I don't know, banned from Spain or haven't got a passport, the, you have to go to this Portuguese deli and, and get these ham on ruffles. They are God's own crisps. Yeah. Yeah. So was that it? You don't, you don't have another... Don't have another question? I probably do have another question, but I thought that was more important. All right, OK. Uh, uh, let me have a look and see. Yeah, we do another couple uh, of quick ones and then we'll we'll get the hell out of here for this week. Okay, East Lower says, which of the six central midfield pairings Wenger has used so far has been the best? How the fuck would I know? <laughs> well, I think Gazola and Cochrane is probably still the best. That's uh, the thing, isn't it? Yeah, so I mean, we haven't seen anything else. Like, it's not it's not Cochrane and Ramsey. Um, Elneny and Jacker, we haven't really seen enough of Jack and anyone we haven't really seen enough of Jack and Cochrane uh, Cazorla was quite good away at uh, Watford but you know we haven't seen an awful lot of it so never seen again really yeah we haven't seen Ramsey and Jack yeah? so I I really don't know I mean the one that we've seen the most is Cochrane and Cazorla which when it works works really well but doesn't always work so 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 there that's that's it really that's as much as I can. Yeah. As much as I can. Fair enough. Have. Yeah. Fair enough. Have you got some more? I do. Um, uh, Joe Patch at Boring Joe Patch says, "How exhausting do you think it would be to be one of Alexis's dogs?" Pretty exhausting. I mean, I, I imagine he's one of the few humans who is, you know, that it's the dog who are fed up with him. You know, like chasing him <laughs> afterwards, being like, "Can we go home now, please?" Uh, 
yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess dogs like walking and running and being out. So at first they must have been like, this is brilliant. We've got the ideal owner. But I think, you know, their stamina will have been slowly worn away. Mm. Uh, they probably dread him coming home now. <laughs> <laughs> I think they probably need lead. They're good at power napping. Oh, here he is. Let's go out in the garden. We're going to play football. I think it would be great. Just fun yeah. being one of Alexis's dogs. That'd be fantastic. Uh, Daniel Greenshields asks, which would you rather be? Walcott's newborn baby or one of Sanchez's dogs? Um, well, I think being a baby is really shit. You know, wh- when you think about it, it's it's terrible. You're utterly dependent on on two people to feed you, keep you mm. warm. You can't communicate in any significant way. The only thing you can do is cry, and crying can mean all kinds of things. It can mean I'm scared, I'm cold, I'm hungry, I've just done a big shit, I've wet myself. Yeah. What's going on? Where am I? It was nicer in there. Well, um, the, the can be all those is, things. Yeah, it can be all time. those things. And you know, you've no way of differentiating between uh, any of those uh, emotions that you're feeling. So basically, being a baby is completely shit. So I wouldn't want to be Theo Walcott's baby. However, being a dog, if you've got the right owner, I would say is fucking awesome. Because, you know, again, your communication skills are relatively limited, but you can let people know what you want uh, much easier than you can if you're a baby. Because if you're a baby, you're just lying on your back. You, you can't even fucking walk around. The, thing, the great thing about puppies is after a couple of weeks, you, they can run around and play and, and, you know, snuffle around and scrumple you and give you licks and stuff. It's great. So that's the, the advantage of being a puppy. Obviously, you know, the, the sad side of that is you die much earlier in general than babies because babies grow to be old people. If, you know, if they get lucky, if things go well for them, you know. So they've got that. Babies have got the longevity thing. But in the very short term, I would definitely be a dog. I would be one of Alexis's dogs. I don't care which. Not not necessarily fussed. What about you? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Difficult now to top that, really, isn't it? I think I would also be a dog. I think... I like Theo Walcott, but I wouldn't choose him as my dad. <laughs> That's all I can say, really. Uh, I'm not even going to... He'd be forever telling me that I was shooting when I was actually crossing and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> irritating things like that. <laughs> uh, all right, final one uh, today comes from Adil Saik. I think I've got that right, or Shaik. Uh, who is on Facebook, and apologies if I've just mangled your name there, uh, dude. I'm sorry about that. He says, I have a friend who doesn't like Nutella. I mean, how can someone not like Nutella? Thoughts, gentlemen? To which Mustafa I... Tafa Akbar has said, replace immediately. <laughs> I like that. He's a ro- Mustafa's a robot. Yeah. Um, uh, I like Nutella. We don't need to do any sort of condiment, you know, uh, spread test with Nutella. I know I like it. I used to, as a child, mix it up with peanut butter and eat it just on its own. Mm. Can, can, I Delicious. Mean, I don't really care for it. Really? Mm. Is it too sweet for you? I don't know. I mean, I, I like sweet things. Like, I'm a, pretty much addicted. I'll, I'll come clean on this. I'm pretty much addicted to peanut M&M's, the yellow ones, in the yellow bag. Really? Yeah. Like, if there's a bag there, I'll just eat it. Like, I'll go stop, and I'll go, no. I just, I'm addicted to them. So do you have to, like, not buy them? Yeah. And Mrs. Bloggs keeps buying them in these mini packets, 
And goes, you just have a few, just have one of the mini packets. But I'm going, no, there's loads of mini packets. I'll just eat all the mini packets as well. Um, so, yeah, no, I, 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 I do have a bit of a sweet tooth as well. But Nutella is a bit like, I don't know what to do. What do I do with it? Like, on, you know, how do you eat it? Do you, like, just dip your fingers That's in true. it and eat it? Or do you, I see people have it on pancakes and crepes and things like that. I've never really, if I'm honest, I've never really applied it correctly. Like, you know, I don't know if, I know it's a spread, but I've only ever really eaten it out of a tub. Yeah, I mean, are you supposed to have it on toast? What do you spread it on? Nutella sandwiches? I'm not sure about that. Chocolate bread. Very French, isn't it? Yeah. As Dylan Moran would say. (laughs) But like, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I like it, Nutella. I'm just not sure. I've necessarily found the correct application for it that's not just spooning it out of the jar. Yeah, yeah. And there's just, just something a bit, I don't know, not great about spooning stuff straight out of a jar. You know, a yogurt It makes or whatever, you feel worse. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 you know, I mean, you know, it, it's a low point, isn't it? It's a low point. Mm. I've never done it. I've never done it. Oh, well, you've got that. You're still, you're still yet to hit rock bottom, then. Yeah, maybe if I, if I can get my peanut uh, M&M affliction under control i'll i'll find a exactly. different a different thing to uh feel the the terrible shame about but uh we'll see all right well look uh we've got no advice for you and your friend there mate so i guess just accept the fact that some people don't like nutella i don't think that's yeah. i don't think that's uh unfortunate do you like bovril um i can't believe i'm going to say this but i don't know so that's next week's podcast sorted. Absolutely. Hang on. I'll just tweet Bovril straight away. Get us a yeah. supply. <laughs> oh, All right. Right. Well, look, we'll leave it there. Thank you, uh, as ever, for listening. We'll have an Arscast on Friday as we look ahead to the game against West Ham at the weekend. James and I will be here next week uh, to, uh, to go over all of what happens at, what's the name of the stadium? Not up to, what, what's it called now? What's their stadium the Olymp- called? The, the Olympic? Olympic Stadium, is it? Or, yeah. Yeah. Something like that. London Stadium. I don't know. Right. The London Stadium. So, uh, fingers crossed, Arsenal can keep their winning run going. And we'll uh, catch you on the next one. Thanks as ever. Bye-bye. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.